The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Alex Yule, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for our update on tech stocks. We've got plenty to talk about, as always. Uh, and I'm joined by my colleague, Eric Savitz, Barron's Associate Editor, who covers tech for us from Silicon Valley. Hey, Eric. Hey, Alex. All right. So let's get one story out of the way uh, before we go on to uh, market moving material, which is uh, Elon Musk and Twitter. Um, we can't get enough of this story. What should, how should investors be thinking about um, Elon Musk right now, Twitter, and, and the one still public entity that he owns, which is Tesla, do you think? Yeah, we, yeah Elon and Twitter um, is an, an, astonishing, an astonishing and entertaining sideshow. Uh, but really, you know, Twitter, of course, now is a private company. Um, you can't buy Twitter shares anymore. Uh, and the only way to bet on Elon right now, as you say, is, is Tesla. Um, I think it, it doesn't really have a lot of implications for other businesses. Um, Twitter is, is actually a very small advertising business. It's uh, doing something less than $5 billion a year in advertising. Compare that to like more than $200 billion a year from uh, from Alphabet, who the parent of Google and YouTube. So this is a, this is a small ad business. Uh, as uh, as I was just doing the calculation, um, that Google generates a Twitter. Uh, a, a, it takes Google about eight days to generate the revenue that Twitter generates in a year. That's this amazing. is a small ad business, right? Now it's a it's a big social uh, presence, right? It obviously has an outsized presence in the. Um, in the world of social media and politics and celebrity and that sort of stuff. And so we'll, we, of course, we'll keep covering it. But I think for investors, there's not a lot of there there. There's not many ways to play this. And I wouldn't worry about it too much. All right. Well, uh, that's, that's some good context and helpful for folks uh, who will continue to read about it, I'm sure. But it's, uh, it, let's move on to, to some other more stock-specific stuff, yes. and, uh, which is we had a very busy week last week, um, and I'm sure people have, have read about and, and followed some of the news, but I think it's helpful to kind of go through how big tech earnings went last week, what the themes that emerged were, and, and how we should think about them going forward. So let's start with one big question um, on big tech last week, which is, I mean, I think you could probably make the case that it was the worst set of quarterly reports ever for the big five tech companies. Do you agree with that? And give us a sense of kind of just from a high level, how bad were they? Yeah, so um, I, I don't have a scientific answer to that question, but it certainly felt like the worst quarter these companies have ever had. Um, all five of them, actually. Um, you know, now four of the five actually went down pretty substantially on the earnings uh, announcements. We're talking here about um, Amazon and Meta, um, uh, Microsoft and Alphabet. Apple actually rallied on their quarter, although, and we can get to this in a little bit. I'm not. I would argue that it wasn't really that great a quarter for Apple either. And there's uh, there's a whole host of issues underneath the surface here. Uh, the bottom line is that the economy and uh, the strong dollar and inflation, um, all of these things are hitting their businesses in one way or another. 
and um, and we should probably walk through a little bit of the detail on, on what happened. Okay, yeah, so let's do that. Um, and I think there there's some good ways to break this down. Apple is kind of, as you said, the standout. So let's start with Apple. Um, sure. It was the one that went up, and surprisingly so. We, we were covering Apple on Thursday in real time. We saw the stock go down after hours, and then sure enough, you went through the conference call, and the next day, the stock rallied something like, I think it was 7 or 8% on a, on a strong day. Um, not what we would have expected from the initial numbers. So, so what happened, um, and how much of this was just you know, investors responding to Apple's report in context of the four previous reports, which were all just really bad, do you think? Yeah, I think it was a case of being not nearly as bad as, as feared. Um, but there were, I think it, it's helpful to look at exactly what they did. So they did report better than expected revenue and profits for the quarter. So that's something the others couldn't really say. Um, and and it was driven, uh, when, in Apple's case, you have to look at the drivers, right? So uh, the biggest push in this case came from the Mac, of all things. Uh, the Mac had a great quarter. They beat street estimates by more than $2 billion um, uh, in, in Mac uh, sales. And there are some reasons for that. Uh, one thing that's changed over the last, you know, the previous for the previous quarter is that uh, some of the shutdowns of, of manufacturing in China uh, were lifted, and so they right, were able right. to generate a lot more. They were to produce a lot more Max than they had the previous quarter. In fact, if you go back to the June quarter, Max sales were down about ten percent year over year, and that was largely because they couldn't get enough inventory. They couldn't meet demand. In this case, they were able to catch up uh, and not just meet demand, but meet some of the pent up demand and were able to also uh, improve inventory in the channel. So they were just, they sold additional Macs into uh, the sales channel and all that led to a really good quarter for Macs. Now that kind of offset some other not such good numbers, by the way. Yeah, and, and I, I can't help but wonder, by the way, and we can talk about those other numbers, but what Steve Jobs would be thinking right now to see the Mac business in Apple as the one that was continuing to propel the company forward, at least just for a quarter. I mean, it's pretty remarkable that it's come back to basics for Apple in that way. Yeah, you know, Mac sales were up 25% in the quarter. Um, and, you know, this is not to suggest that Macs in general, like over the over time are growing that fast, but um, it has been a rejuvenated business, right? They've, uh, they, they've, uh, uh, this starts with their, having created their own processors, their, uh, their M1 and then M2 processors, which has really made um, uh, made a difference in terms of demand. And if you look yeah. at the rest of the PC industry, keep in mind, the rest of the PC industry is in tatters. I mean, the, yeah. the, they had they were double digit declines as much as it depends who's doing the counting, somewhere between 15 and 20 percent uh, declines in total uh, unit sales for PCs in the quarter. And you saw that in the numbers, uh, in the guidance that we've seen from companies like Intel and Qualcomm right, and, right. Um, and NVIDIA and Micron. So th it's, it's, uh, th that's what makes it even more impressive that they had such yeah. a good quarter. Yeah. Now okay. there were offsets though. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to that. Cause you wrote in your tech trader column this past weekend that is as good as the response was to Apple, at least on a relative basis um, this past week, it's not, you know, things might get a bit harder for Apple from here. So tell us maybe what didn't look quite as good in the quarter and, and why you see some maybe a bit of a rough road ahead in the coming quarter or the coming year. Right. So there's several points there. One is iPhone sales in the quarter were actually a little bit off. Uh, they were they, they, relative to expectations. They disappointed a little bit on the street. 
um, uh, compared to the street numbers. That is also true for their services business, which includes, you know, that whole package of things that Apple does, uh, music and um, and advertising right. and a, a whole bunch of other things. Um, they uh, That was also down a little bit in the quarter. In fact, they said on the call, Lupo um, Maestri, the CFO, mentioned on the call that both um, advertising revenue and gaming revenue came under pressure in the quarter, largely because of the softer macro economy. Okay, so that's yeah. that's a little bit of background. And then when and they services, provide- by the way, I just want to say services, by the way, has been one of those sort of all upside businesses for them for the last couple of years, right? So yes, that, and, and that was still you know was still an up quarter. It just wasn't up quite as much as um, I think they came in maybe about a billion dollars shy of the street consensus okay, on services. Got it. And then when they started talking about the uh, the fourth quarter, they said, uh, well, I'm sorry, it should, it's really their fiscal first quarter, but the December right. quarter, uh, they said first. a few things that are uh, were cautionary. They said that year-over-year growth would slow um, in the December quarter from the September quarter uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one is the MAC comparison gets a lot harder. So they, they actually expect MAC revenues to be down year-over-year uh, in the uh, in quite a, quite a contrast to the September quarter, and that's in part because of a very difficult comparison. In the year ago period, they introduced new um, uh, M1 powered Macs, and they were very popular. I think they had maybe the second, uh, what's now the second best quarter for Macs ever uh, a year ago. So, so that's one element. They also cautioned that services were going to be uh, um, slow growing, um, and specifically again cited the issues with advertising and gaming. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a little bit of a complication in the fact that Apple actually has a 14 week quarter this uh, time around, which kind of will confuse some of the comparison numbers. But I, I think there's uh, and there is still some risk here on iPhone. I still think that there's some uh, that the company is simply not immune to us, uh, to the economic downturn. And yeah. they are largely consumer driven business. And we I, have I, seen. Right. Yeah. A- I was going to I was going to say that we've talked about before that we I think we do tend to forget that among the big five tech companies, Apple is the most directly consumer exposed. Right. By, by a pretty good margin. And so I, yeah. I think that in a tough uh, environment, in, in a difficult uh, uh, economic environment, are people going to spend, a, you know, a thousand dollars or more for a new iPhone? Um, yeah. We'll see. And And I, you know, I would note that. Uh, well, the, you know, the iPhone 14 uh, has generally been getting good reviews. It is a lot like the iPhone 13. It is uh, it's got a little bit better camera. There's, but, you know, it's, there's, there's a few other things that are improved. Um, yes. It's got a new processor on that high-end models. But it's very similar to the 13. And so if you don't have, like, an urgent need to upgrade, um, you might decide to wait. Right. Okay. So we'll see. All right. So I think those are all really good points. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how Apple plays out and if we get a real uh, consumer slowdown. Um, right. I just want to point out that as of Friday, when I last looked, Apple stock, I think, was down 12% on the year. It's down a little bit more today versus what, like 30%, I think, for the NASDAQ. And yeah, the upper- it's outperformed it's all amazing. the other large apps. It's done extremely well. And, yeah, you know, yeah. the other thing I would point out here, by the way, that just uh, uh, before we move on to the, the others, is Apple also continues to be extremely aggressive buying back stock. Um, I wrote a little piece for the website uh, on Friday, I guess, pointing out that uh, they bought back more than $25 billion of stock um, in the in the September quarter alone, 
They've bought back over the last 10 years more than half a trillion dollars worth of stock. Um, and over that time, they've substantially reduced their share count. And they've, you know, they're down to about a little under $50 billion in net cash. They have actually a lot more than that, but they also have some debt that right. they've taken right. on. Okay. Um, and they have, they've expressed their intention to get that number down to net uh, zero. Uh, which and by the way, like they, it takes them a long time to do it because they keep generating more cash. Yeah, um, yeah. Over time, so it's, it, it is worth think, it is worth thinking about, and maybe worth even a story for us not to give anything away. But like, what happens to this business when they are when they do get to zero net cash? Now you point out they'll they'll generate cash. I'm sure they'll continue to buy back stock, but right. at some point they're going to have less extra cash lying around, and you wonder to what degree that's been a tailwind for the stock and what happens to it. Um, a year or two yeah, out. you know the the other thing that I'll I'll just mention uh, in passing is like people always throw out ideas on other things Apple could do with the cash. You know they could, right. uh, they could buy this or buy that. And if yeah. you look over time, they barely bought anyone. I think the yeah. largest single uh, acquisition they made was Beats. Of, yeah, uh, maybe what's that now? Seven eight years ago for yeah. three billion dollars. And right. so. Uh, they could do that with, you know, like a couple days worth of cash, but they just don't. They don't. Yeah, they don't do it. They don't do it. All right. Okay. Um, all right. So let's move on to the others. Uh, I, we can talk about a few more specific companies, but I think for the next theme, I wanted to talk about what we learned about the cloud uh, from multiple reports last week. Um, you had written heading into the earnings season that the cloud was a real story to watch because it had been this pocket of resilience in the last six months for for uh, for tech for spending. It was seen as the um, kind of the shield that was going to that was going to protect uh, tech. We didn't quite get the news, and and you said that if, if if the numbers weren't quite so good, watch out. And I, and I think that's kind of what happened. So um, you know, w- what did we learn about the cloud last week, and and ha- just how disappointing were the numbers? Yeah. So we had kind of a one-two punch where first Microsoft was. Uh, Azure, their cloud business, and then Amazon with Amazon Web Services, their cloud business, uh, reported uh, similarly disappointing results. Uh, So in both cases, they reported numbers for the quarter that were a little bit disappointing, um, and they gave uh, comments about the December quarter that were also disappointing. Now, let's just put in context, by the way, that for the cloud, disappointing is still revenue growth for those businesses of, what, 2030 yeah, even forty percent, right? Even forty percent not... in Microsoft's case. So yeah. yeah, so these are not these are. It's not like these companies are you know drying up and you know going away or something. These are still fantastic long term businesses. You know, a few months ago I wrote a uh, cover about Amazon, largely right. focused on the potential for AWS. I'm still a big believer in the cloud story, but uh, in in the short run, what we're what we've learned was uh, it turns out that cloud uh, software businesses actually have some economic sensitivity and so and explain why is that why is that that you know how do do these businesses charge for the cloud sure so they uh these are fairly unusual businesses um uh they they have a consumption driven model which which is basically a fancy way of saying they're like a utility right like if you you know you turn on your air conditioner you get charged more for electricity you turn your temperature down lower you know right you, you get charged more so it's it's kind of like that people use uh, use more compute power, more compute cycles. Um, they they pay more if they uh, they they can turn the dial down and use less. And so I think right. part of what has happened uh, is that people are finding ways to turn the dial a little to the left and use a little bit less or grow more slowly. 
both companies talked about um, helping their customers become more efficient in their use. And we're of talking the about cloud. Amazon, Amazon and Microsoft. When you say both, companies. Amazon and Microsoft, right? Okay. Both made that that point. Um, it's also worth noting, by the way, that. Uh, the other thing that's happened here as an aside is that they both are experiencing some impact from higher energy costs. Like it costs money to run data centers. Um, it, and so they, they're taking a substantial additional hit on, on that's, higher energy that, costs. That's interesting. interesting. And, yeah. And so I think for the cloud, one thing I continue to wonder, and we've talked about this before a little bit, but you know, in a slowdown, the cloud hasn't really been through a true economic slowdown, at least in its kind of current iteration. So right. you get you get this push and pull of, as you talked about consumption, if you have fewer employees at a tech company or any business, you probably need less cloud because there are fewer people sitting at their computers tapping into it. Um, but at the same time, the cloud is always... Um, one of the arguments for it has been that it allows companies to spend on technology more efficiently. In a slowdown, you'd expect companies to then want the cloud more and... and, and they'd stop spending on some of the on-premise infrastructure. So which one wins, do you think, in the coming year if we get a slowdown? The, the efficient yeah. side of the cloud or the consumption side going down? Well, I think it's a real tug of war, and I think there's truth to both sides here, right? So you saw, like, when ServiceNow, uh, which is a you know cloud-based uh, software vendor, uh, produced uh, r reported earnings last week, they actually reported really good numbers, and they are a company, their CEO, Bill McDermott, about two quarters ago, warned people that they were seeing a slowdown, or it was taking a little longer to close new business, particularly in Europe, and it caused, a, a, you know, kind of a flurry of uh, selling in their stock, and it kind of spilled over to some of the other cloud names. But they reported really good results, and they basically are making the case that, yes, the cloud makes you more efficient, and, you know, as you have pressure on like labor costs and, you know, this is a way to reduce uh, to, to reduce your spending on labor, spend more money on technology over time, right. you'll improve your uh, efficiency. Now, that is true. But the other part is also true. Uh, so, like, again, if you go back a couple of quarters, Snowflake, which is a company that is a uh, they're an online um data warehouse basically do analytics on uh, on uh, large volumes of data and they ride on top of all the public clouds and a couple of quarters ago they said that they were seeing some slowdown in consumption they have a consumption model much like azure and aws and they said they were seeing some slowdown from some of their customers and you know snowflake actually sold off after amazon reported earnings and that concern um right. so i think both of those things are going to be true and to your point earlier these are really good growth businesses overall, and they will continue to grow over time, uh, but they're growing a little bit slower. And, you know, Wall Street is a game of relative expectations. It's not just about growing. It's about are you growing more or less uh, than the street had anticipated? And in both cases, yeah. they were both a little slower than people had hoped. Uh, but I, I still think longer term, these are fantastic businesses. Um, they're profitable businesses, and they will continue to produce outsized growth over time. We're just getting going on the cloud. It's still early. It's only early innings. Only early. That, that cliche. Okay. Um, so let's get to another theme, which is e-commerce. We got yep. um, two notable reports last week, one from Amazon, one from Shopify, which has sort of been the upstart, right. the, the more up, relative upstart, which has really struggled over the last year. Um, but their stock rallied the day before Amazon reported because they had better than expected numbers, gave some of us hope that maybe Amazon would then uh, surprise to the upside when right. they reported on Thursday, but that's not really what happened with their e-commerce business. So what have we learned about e-commerce um, 
in the last week or so? Well, I think it was clear from Amazon's numbers and from their guidance for the December quarter uh, that, you know, consumers pulling in some here, right? I, the the um, uh, Amazon's guidance for the full year, and, you know, if you look at their sales numbers, keep in mind that uh, from the sales point of view, the large majority are coming from e-commerce, right? Like AWS is a big profit right. contributor, but if you just look at the top line, it is right. driven by e-commerce and their their guidance missed by 10 or $15 billion. Like they, they're seeing yeah. a big slowdown um, in, in online uh, commerce. And in Shopify's case, their numbers are actually a little better uh, than people had anticipated, but they were very careful on their comments on the fourth quarter. They did not give a lot of guidance. And there is a different dynamic there, as you point out. Shopify shares were down like 75 or 80% year to date. Like they were, right. they of course were, now let's remember, Shopify was a pandemic darling. Um, they really played a crucial role helping uh, companies which didn't really have much of an online presence uh, move turn, business to the to yeah. the web, turn it on, um, turn on online yeah. businesses. And it's uh, it's been a fantastic uh, boon for many companies. Um, and meanwhile, like they're getting more aggressive about expanding their business to the offline world. They're doing point of sale systems, and they're doing uh, finance for some of the companies, and they're doing uh, fulfillment and like a whole bunch of other things to try and expand their business. And they're yeah. seeing a little bit signs of traction in some of those things. But I, I still think the Amazon situation is the one that is, is the clearer view on like the way. Yeah. And, and you've had some data, you've reported on some data that the holiday, um, the holidays may not be the boost to online sales that some might expect or some might hope, right? What, what's the yeah. early read on, on, on online holiday sales? Yeah, the early read is it's going to be very slow growth, uh, maybe one of the slowest holiday growth periods since we really had an e-commerce business. So it's not like you're going back that far. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's not like, well, back in the 50s, you know. So, uh, so, so you know, we're, we're only talking about the last decade or two. Uh, but what's clear is um, that, uh, that the impact of higher prices, of uh, higher fuel prices, of... Um, you know, consumers feeling a little more strapped um, is having an impact. And then you have sort of a secondary effect, which is, you know, during, during, the, uh, during the pandemic, um, we spent most of our, you know, um, free cash on goods um, yeah, right. because uh, we couldn't go anywhere, like even, you know, anywhere. Uh, you couldn't go to the movies, you couldn't go out to eat, you couldn't travel. Uh, there was there wasn't much to spend on, so you know maybe you bought um, a new couch instead. Um, right. So, um, uh, so but now that's changed, um, and people are traveling again, and people are going out to eat again, and some people so, are going back to movies. And and um, and right, and um, I think the numbers that you cited from Adobe then for the year, so we got used to like hundred percent growth for online sales because it was just such a new industry. This speaks to how it's matured, also, right? That we're now getting. It, was it flattish for, uh, is that the expectation for online yeah, holiday flat, sales? Flat, a, little, a little up a little, but so that's, that's a, that's a really different world than we, than that we is a five, really different five, world. 10 years ago. And I think the Amazon uh, guidance for the year is a pretty clear indicator that, uh, that that's, that's the way we're right, headed. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we'll get more, well, and, and I think it's worth noting, we'll get a few in, more indications of, on the state of e-commerce this week, we'll eBay reports and, Wayfair and um, maybe a, a couple of others. So we'll get, we're going to begin to get some more 
details, some more, you know, secondary evidence of what's um, what's actually transpired. I think it'll be really interesting to watch. I mean, obviously, the last time we had a big, real recession, um, e-commerce was still a pretty young business. So I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Right. Uh, okay, so we talked about Apple as the big winner of the week. I think we need to talk about the big loser of the week, which yes. was Meta, uh, which had a really stunning decline. Um, ultimately, I think fell 25% on its earnings uh, report on uh, yep. the day after. This is a stock that had already been down, what, 50 or 60%? Yeah, it was already um, pretty big. What, uh, what is going on? Um, the numbers weren't even that bad, right, for Meta. So it wasn't even about the numbers necessarily, not about the quarter necessarily. Tell us a little more about what happened and what's going to happen sure. from here. Yeah. So um, as I wrote about in the uh, in tech trade over the weekend, um, uh, if you just look at the numbers, if you just looked at their revenue and profit numbers, they were actually okay. Revenues was within the guidance range that the company had provided. Um, so you thought when I first saw it, I thought, oh, well, maybe like given everything else, this will be okay. Um, and then you looked at what they had to say about their spending plans. And that, that was the killer. They, they provided guidance for 2023 on, on, um, on spending that was on both capital spending and operating expense that was way above what the street had anticipated. People were literally stunned by the numbers. And, you know, the company tried to explain this. Some of it is related to the metaverse. Um, you know, they, they actually said, for example, that losses from Reality Labs, which is their business segment that includes uh, the metaverse and, uh, you know, and uh, uh, VR headsets and things like that, would be higher in 2023 than 2022. And they are losing money. This year, I think they lost more than $3 billion in the latest quarter in that division yeah. alone. It's just, it's pretty painful. And then meanwhile, they're also ratcheting up their spending on um, data centers and other infrastructure in part for, um, they talked a lot about uh, artificial intelligence applications. And I think what they're really getting at here is their ability to better target both content and advertising to their users. And while no one will, would argue that that's a bad idea, sort of generically, um, the numbers were really high. I mean, like the capital spending outlook that they gave at the high end of their range is about $10 billion more than the street had anticipated. Um, and, you know, one way, one way to sort of look at this is that companies that provide infrastructure to the cloud, um, or stocks of companies that provide infrastructure to the cloud, took off, right? So like Arista Networks, which is a networking equipment provider that is a, um, uh, which counts Meta um, uh, as one of their largest customers, their stock went up 10%. The day that uh, the day that Meta went down twenty five percent, and you know, and then um, uh, in, Nvidia went up, uh, shares went up, and AMD went up, and like a few others. So there's like that just gives you a sense of how meaningful this felt to people. And yeah, and then you know, I think that the other thing is that um, earlier in the week uh, there was an investor, a firm called Altimeter Capital, uh, wrote an open letter to Zuckerberg. Um, basically arguing that what he should do is is cut heads 20 percent and you yeah know, reduce capital he was he was begging he was basically begging him not to do the very thing he did two day a day later they he yeah some people you know uh had some snarky uh, sort of descriptions of marks yeah. that i won't uh, this is a family podcast <laughs> but I, I i i i mean you can only imagine the, the reaction on the street and you saw yeah. the reaction yeah. on the street in the stock 
And I, I think that uh, basically it's now, um, I think Mark's lost a lot of credibility. So with the yeah, definitely. And we have a question from one reader. And this was a question that came up that's been coming up. Um, I think there are a few ways to put it. Um, reader asks, is there a bottom for Meta? Others have said, is Meta now uninvestable? So, uh, and, and we, we don't have that much more time here. I want to get onto a few other things, but what do you do with Meta right now as a stock? It is certainly cheaper I mean, than it was. It's certainly cheaper. It gets cheaper by the day. I mean, I, I think that, you know, look, when, when uh, back when we wrote a cover story on this a few months ago, um, we had some in healthy internal debate about whether we should be buying, you know, we should, we should be bullish on the stock at that point. And I think the stock was about twice the current price, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe a little more at this point. And I, I think that, uh, it, you know, the, the market cap is now under $250 billion. Um, uh, you know, it was once up over 850, 160 billion, something like that. So yeah, oh, I, think it, it looks, I think it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks a lot cheaper. Um, uh, well, maybe it was higher. I think it touched, oh, actually, I'm sorry. It, it touched a little bit over a trillion dollars. It touched a trillion, right, right. Yeah, touched a trillion. Um, so it's lost more than $800 billion in value, which is kind of stunning. Uh, you know, I, I think the problem is un until Mark either uh, does one of several things, he proves that the metaverse investment is worthwhile. Now, I think the problem with that is we all know that's years away from being proven in either direction. So that's far away. Really demonstrates that he's solved some of the problems in the advertising industry, including, I think, above all else, trying to compete with TikTok, which is just growing like a weed um, and stealing, clearly stealing market share from the other advertising players. Um, unless he can solve one of these problems um, or does something else more dramatic, like decides we're going to cut back on spending on the metaverse or uh, we are going to dramatically cut costs or, yeah. um, you know, as I posited in the, the column this week, like decides to kick himself upstairs to chairman and, hires some, you know, some uh, eminence grease type person to be the CEO. I don't, but I don't see any of that happening. And part of the problem is, um, you know, they have a dual class stock strategy. Mark controls the board, control has voting control of the company, doesn't have to do anything. Like, this is not a situation where some, uh, you know, uh, deep pocketed uh, um, activist investor is going to come along and try to force Mark to do things he doesn't want to do. He doesn't no, have to do anything that, he doesn't want to do. He doesn't have to do anything. And that's another story uh, that deserves more attention, which is yeah. will investors in the future think twice about investing in a dual class structure where when things aren't going so well, it kind of matters because the CEO is in charge and it doesn't matter what the shareholders think. I think yeah. it's, 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 it might, we'll see what happens, you know. Kind of a lesson next. in the risks yeah, of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that is what we were seeing. All right. Let's get, um, I know we're kind of running short on time. We do have a lot of questions. Um, mm -hmm. One common theme here kind of extends that meta question uh, from a bunch of folks is, is this the bottom? I guess my version of that would be, will this bad big tech earnings season prove to be sort of a turning point? Have they gotten the bad news out? How should, obviously the valuations for all of these companies have come down significantly, maybe not as much for Apple, but we're talking 15 to 30% to 50% reductions. What, what do we do now for, for both big tech and tech generally, do you think? Yeah, I think you, you still want to be careful. Um, you know, we, uh, we, there, there are multiple reasons to be careful. Uh, the Fed is not done, um, as we'll see this week. Um, the, so interest rates are still going higher. Um, we've, we, for all the talk of recession, we haven't had one yet. 
So, right, right. Uh, so, I, so there's a, there's an argument that says the recession will be next year. Um, so, uh, you know, we just grew more than two percent in the third quarter, much to yep. the surprise of a lot of people. Um, and that would only seem to encourage the Fed, right? Um, so, I, I think there's still a there's still a difficult economic backdrop. The dollar continues to appreciate. That is a problem for companies with large overseas businesses. That is still a problem. There's still, you know, the, the labor picture is weird, right? Because we're starting to see some layoffs um, and some tightening, um, uh, people taking a, a, you know, a tighter approach on their budgets for hiring. And yet um, there's still like a, a shortage of uh, labor in, in many places and in many categories. That's still weighing on some of these companies, raising their costs. Um, I think it's a it's and and then we have the wild card of what happens as a result of uh, the election next week and how that plays into yeah. the future. You know, historically, I think we've I think we did a story on this or somebody did that that historically um, uh, markets rally after midterm elections and uh, whether that's the case here, I don't know. We just had we've had a we had a fantastic month in October, at least for the large cap names. Yeah, uh, less yeah. less so for tech. I would just right. be very careful. I do think some things are becoming interesting, um, but I think you have to, I think you have to, I think the way to look at it, 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 the way I think about this is some companies have had their fundamental stories like just ripped up um, in the, in the, the crosswinds that we've seen over the last few years, the pandemic, yeah. coming out of the pandemic. Well, um, think about a company like Peloton, where like their fundamentals, they're the they're the they're the case study here, right? I, I I knew you were going there, and I think I know the one on the opposite end of the pandemic, darlings, where you think maybe the fundamentals are still largely intact. So Peloton on the on the you know still stay worried, and then maybe where there's opportunity, did you have one of the pandemic darlings that you think maybe has seen a bottom that you want to talk about? Which which one were you thinking about? Well, we talked about it already, but I think, you know, what, what are we, where does Shopify, for instance, you have Peloton, you have Shopify. Yeah, so Shopify, right. So I think in Shopify's case, um, uh, it's, it's a little more nuanced, I think, in their case. Like people going online, like if you were an offline business and you built an online business, are you going to now shut down your online business? That, that seems very unlikely to me. Right. right like that doesn't right, seem right. like something's going to happen. I think the, the, the other one that, uh, it, that, that feels that looks on the surface a little like that, but then ends up not being like that is Zoom, where like Zoom was the single most, probably a bit like the single biggest or one of the biggest beneficiaries of the pandemic. No no Everyone question. moved into Zoom. And then like, lo and behold, like, hey, guess what? Your kids are going back to school. So like right. the... They don't have to zoom the school anymore, and so like the schools don't have to like have everyone zooming at the same time anymore. Yeah. And yeah. their their revenue growth has has toppled, and uh, and they also were now seeing a real uh, a, a new set of competitors in that space. So I think that what you have right. to separate is where are you seeing cyclical issues, um, and I would argue like like the cloud companies that which we talked about. I think it's a little bit of that. This is about they're seeing some economic impact from their businesses, but nothing has really materially changed on the op opportunity there. Um, whereas I think in certain other places, um, the story has changed. I think one of the other interesting side stories I would note, by the way, is uh, one of the things we talked about endlessly over the last year or so have been component shortages and like supply yeah. chain problems. And you know, one of the things that Apple said that was so fascinating, I think overlooked a little bit, was Tim Cook said on, the, on their earnings call, we had no real impact from component shortages in the September quarter. They're gone. And, and now, I think that 
that some some companies may you know may may argue that there are certain kinds of uh, particularly commodity parts that are still hard to get. Uh, but yeah. uh, you know even if you look at the automotive industry, say which has been desperate for parts and where there's been like you know you go to the average like car dealership, there's no inventory. Um, suddenly there's more inventory. Um, and yeah. so we, we, we run and we certainly have seen in like in the memory chip business where we went from severe shortages to uh, surplus and yeah. reduced uh, production. So there's a different dynamic as we head into 2023. Uh, but I would still worry about the underlying. Economy. Right. OK, so here's one last question that we'll do and then we'll uh, before we sign off. And it, maybe I'm putting you a little bit on the spot here, but I think it's an interesting one. Uh, Steve asks about WeWork. I think WeWork is kind of yeah. became the anti-pandemic play. Right. But now the question is, uh, and Steve says, do you think it could benefit from companies investing less in office space and using shared spaces offered by WeWork? You know, how does how do they benefit from maybe the hybrid office environment? I will note that WeWork is now, you know, it's gotten hurt the stock since it came finally came public. It's it's two dollars and seventy cents a share. It's got a market cap of about two billion dollars. Any hope for WeWork? Um, you've written about them some. Yeah, I have sort of a split uh, uh, mind on WeWork. I, I think uh, uh, our reader or listener Steve, um, with yeah. his point is, is, is right, that you are seeing companies, uh, in, in some cases, reduce their office footprint, uh, particularly in secondary markets where they may not, you know, they don't have their headquarters space, maybe they had a small office, and are yeah. shifting to the use of, of WeWorks when, particularly if you have, you know, maybe you have a smaller number of employees, maybe even employees aren't going to the office every day. And so there are real reasons you might want to switch to a, that kind of strategy. And right. by the way, there's more office space available uh, which gives WeWork the opportunity to buy some more capacity potentially. Now, I, I think that one of the reasons the stock has gotten hit so hard is they're pretty highly levered, right? They have a lot of debt on the books still. Um, some mm -hmm. of it's going to be need to refinance at some point in time. I don't know the uh, exact uh, details of their balance sheet on the top of my head, but I, I think that there has been some concern that highly leveraged technology companies like WeWork um, are at risk in an environment of rising rates. Um, you know, if you have to refinance in the current environment, uh, that's going to be a problem. And so I think that that is why you saw, you've seen WeWork get hit really hard actually over the last couple of months. And I think it's a, I think it's a, uh, like a bearish interest rate call as much as anything else. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Panels. And the fundamentals. Okay. All right. Well, it's worth watching. Um, this was great, Eric. There were a few things we didn't get to. I'll just one theme that we wanted to talk about that we didn't have time for, but I'll just point out to folks is that a lot of the big online travel companies are reporting this week, um, yeah. Airbnb, Booking, Expedia. That'll be something to watch just in terms of that consumer spend and the shift from goods to services. So maybe we can talk about that the next time we get together, but but everyone should keep their eyes on that theme. Um, so Eric, Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was great speaking with you. And for everyone else, please join us again tomorrow on Barron's Live when MarketWatch real estate reporter, um, a MarketWatch real estate reporter will be speaking with UBS analyst John Lavallo about high mortgage rates, waning buyer demand, and why we are still short of homes in the country. So thanks to all of you for being with us and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.